All right. Hey, good morning. Uh, welcoming Amped, Blend, Roan County. Good morning to y'all out there down in Bearden. Good morning to you. Uh, you can open up to Ephesians chapter two is where we're going to be today as we get started. Um, I want to give you a little behind the scenes. Personally, I love behind the scenes kind of stuff. I've said before, I love F1 on Netflix. Uh, the, there's, a, there's another show. If, if you don't love British soccer, Sunderland Till I Die, uh, two years of that or two, two seasons of that, and you'll be like, Tell me more about British soccer. So there's something about behind the scenes that I really dig. And so I want to give you just a little glimpse of behind the scenes, the way things kind of function around here. One of the things that we do as we prepare for a series is we kind of lay out what the series is going to be. And then we lay out themes or big ideas that we're going to teach towards throughout that series. And one of the things I've shared with you before that's kind of a personal conviction of mine, one of the things that our our teaching team that, that we drive towards is how do we make it personal? And so often our themes or our big ideas are around something that as a follower of Jesus, because um, pretty much the entire New Testament is written to followers of Jesus. And so we have to understand that in that context, as followers of Jesus, what then do I have to do? And so usually that big idea is something about me, my, I need to do something. And so in this series, this week was supposed to be the big transition, that we were supposed to switch from all the I, me, my big ideas to the we big ideas. But then when we got into it in the first week, I had this deep conviction that really this whole series just needs to be we because the letter to the church in Ephesus is about we. And so it ruined the big reveal. There you go. (laughs) We didn't get to do the big reveal. That, that it's really about we. And this, this week really takes us at the end of chapter two into a really important part of Paul's letter that's often just glossed over. Because we really focus in on the first part of chapter two. We'll talk about that in a second. But really we tend to then go, okay, well, that's the important part. This other part isn't as important. What we're going to walk away with this weekend is this. We are God's people defined by God's presence. Two Rivers Church, not a new idea. You've heard this before. We are God's people defined by God's presence. That is always been the story of God's people. As we look to the Old Testament, as we look to the children of Israel, as we look at what defined them, it was God's presence that defined them as God's people. Looked a little bit different in their experience than it does in our experience, but but that is our story. As God's people, what is the defining mark? It's the fact that we are marked, right? That we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Talked about that already in this series. We are marked by the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit that we belong to God. We are God's people defined by God's presence. But we face a problem. You see, the children of Israel, the only way that they could experience their relationship with God is in community. So so the concept of being we, the people of God, was not a difficult concept. That's something that they would have grown up with. It's something that they would have known. In fact, through all of church history, the, 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 the idea that you could have a personal relationship with God, all you needed was a copy of the scriptures and just you and Jesus. That is a very, very modern idea in the scheme of history in the grand scheme of history. You're like, well, that's a couple hundred years old, but, but in the grand scheme of history, that's a blip. It's, it's a very short period of time. So, so for us, we face a me versus we obstacle in embracing who we are in Christ. When we talk about our identity in Christ, 
we face an obstacle. It just We've talked about it already in this series. We need to just acknowledge that obstacle, embrace that obstacle, and then dig in to go, how do I get over the obstacle? How do I overcome this idea that I cannot separate out my personal identity in Christ from the collective identity in Christ? I am one of God's people. For some of you, you're like, Dave, that's not very encouraging. I'm one of a lot of people. Yep, most encouraging thing I could tell you. You're one of many people who belong to God. One of many. Like, your story isn't unique. It's, it's, not, it's not, like, it's not special. It's, what, what? How could you possibly say that to me? I live in America, and you're supposed to tell me I'm awesome. I'm great. God's into me, and I'm super special. Well, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that you're, you're a personal possession who belongs to God, and you're one of many. So get on the program, hop on the team. Guess what? Following Jesus is a team sport. And so when you're thinking of team sports, you're thinking sports ball kind of analogies, you can't think golf. It's, the Christian life is not golf. Unless you're on a college team and you play together. And I don't know how that works. But every analogy breaks down. It is a team sport. And nobody on a team likes somebody who's so into themselves that they don't be part of the team. Nobody likes that person. Nobody wants to be friends with that. But like that person is so into themselves. They're so about them and their thing and their thing. No, what is it that makes a team the team? That everybody plays their part. Paul's going to use the analogy of a body, that everybody has their part. A body requires all all parts to function properly. If not, the body isn't experiencing the fullness of who it is. And so that's our part. We are God's people collectively. Yes, individually. We'll talk about that individually. But collectively, we are God's people. And we collectively are defined by God's presence. We're going to pick up in chapter 2 and verse 11. As we come out, I was just talking about that we were created to do the stuff that Jesus has for us to do. And we talked about what? What is likely one of the most well-known couple of verses by by followers of Jesus. If you've been following Jesus for a while, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you're probably super familiar with that. And then um, if you've been following Jesus for a while, you're probably familiar with what we talked about last week in Ephesians 2, 10, that we were created by Jesus to do the stuff he has for us to do. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We have to remember who we were to fully recognize who we are. That's the picture that Paul's painting here. We have to remember who we were, to fully recognize who we are. If we we don't think that we were dead in our sin, then it's not going to be good news that God made us alive in Christ. 
If we think, well, well, I was, I was just kind of an okay person, but now God has made me into a good person, then, then we're going to miss out on the good news. No, it was a supernatural act of God that, that took us from spiritual death to spiritual life that we talked about last week. And here we see that it was a supernatural act of God that took the Gentiles and brought them into the family of God. Now, I want to acknowledge something. When when we're working our way through this letter, this passage in particular, it's talking about the Gentiles and Jews in Ephesus, but it makes a really great point for us that we understand the Bible in principles. Because if you just try and go from direct, from what was being said here to today, it really doesn't apply to us. But if we apply the principle that's behind the text, because guess what? We're not Gentile believers who are living in Ephesus had, who had to embrace this idea that those people who you used to have something against and those people really, those Jewish people who have something against you, you now need to embrace this idea that you're one people. You're no longer outsiders. You're now all insiders. That is not our lived experience. That isn't our story. But it's important now that we would go, okay, well, wait, there's principles behind the text. And how do we understand what, what is happening here? And there's something really cool if we look at the pattern of a verses, verses 11 through 22 that reflect what Paul just said. Before, it was that you were, you were dead. Remember that? You were dead. You were following the course of the pattern in this world. You were following the, the principalities. You were following the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But now, remember, but now God, check this out. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is who we are now. Our identity is all about what? We are now part of one people, the people who belong to God. That there, there was once here, he says that there were, there was a, there were two men. He's talking about that, that you once had the, the Jewish people, and then you had everyone else who lived on the face of the earth. You had the people of God and everyone else. But now that, that through Christ, there, there is a new thing that has happened. And what has happened is reconciliation, that, that Jesus has brought reconciliation. By the blood of Christ, he says, that it's by the, through the, the blood of the cross that Jesus has reconciled us. We are now reconciled by Jesus. This is our story. We needed to be made right Right? We needed to be made right with God. And, and we would be like, yeah, if you've been around church just for a little bit, for half a minute, if you've been around church for half a minute, you know, yeah, I had to be reconciled to God. If you were here last week, absolutely. Like, what did I need? I was dead and I needed a supernatural act of God to bring me to life. But we often don't think of the other aspect that, that 
Paul's writing about here. We're reconciled both to God and to each other. He doesn't, he doesn't draw it apart. He says, hey, God has done something. The supernatural act of God is that, yes, we've been reconciled to God, but we've also been reconciled with each other. And in particular, what was going on is you have a group of people, the Jewish people, who would say, okay, we are the people of God. Old Testament clear on that. They are the people of God. And there's stuff that we do. So, so in order to be a Jewish person, you, they were an evangelistic people. You could become a Jewish person. But in order to become a Jewish person, you had to follow the, the Jewish religious system. Call it conversion. How did you convert? If you were a dude, you got circumcised. If you were a woman, I don't know what that looked like exactly, but that wasn't for you. But, but you became part of the family of God. Then you ate kosher. Like you, you became part of the system. You embraced temple worship. You, you, you embraced the sacrificial system. You, you embraced all of those things that were laid out in what it looked like to be a people of God. And Paul's writing here and says that something changed. There, there's something along the way that happened. Now, as we're going through this series, remember we talked about that um, when, it, when it comes to Ephesians, we wanted you to be what? We wanted you to be Ephesians ninjas. Remember that? We want you to be Ephesians ninjas. We want, we want you to be a people, if we're going to be a people who are word dependent, that, that we would be a people who go, you know what? I know, I know that I know that book inside and out. Because what we're going to see in the next series called Live It Out, that, that everything that we're building now on our identity is going to be essential to actually putting it into practice in our lives. That we would be a people who live out God's truth. And so we said, hey, yeah, this is a book that you got to know. And so if you've been following along at home, you know, like every Friday, if you've been doing the live it out, we're listening to the whole letter all again. But it's important we'd understand the whole because we can't understand the parts until we get the big picture of the whole. And then we're breaking it down into parts and we're going along. And, and some of you are like, yeah, you're wearing me out with that already. Whew. Every, I listen to it again. I'm like, really? Again? I get it. I get it. Well, do you get it? Do you have it memorized? If not, keep going. All right? Keep going. If you can't do it verbatim, keep going. Keep going. We don't know it enough. We can't know it enough. That was just some diatribe. That wasn't even what I wanted to say. But <laughs> here's the point. Along the way, Along the way, where there's issues in the text, if, if, if you are reading and there's some points where maybe in your, your notes, uh, that, that maybe you're using a study Bible, maybe you're using the journal, it doesn't really point them out as much there, but you're saying, okay, well, there comes to points where there's little textual issues along the way. And verse 15 brings one of those textual issues. Then in verse 15, it says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. There's this word that's used there that, that gets translated as abolishing the law. And, and that's a, a legal term. And um, one, one way that can be understood is abolishing. But there's another way that it can be understood that's really important that we would understand the nuance of this. And that is that, that the word means to cause something to lose its power or effectiveness. So it's important that we hold intention, but that, that it's, it's not just um, 
utterly destroyed. It's that he's made it to no effect. And here's why that's important. If we just say that he's utterly destroyed it and it's no longer relevant, it's no longer important, then we take the first two thirds of our Bible and we go, oh, that's not important. It's really just important that I follow this last little part, the the Jesus part. And that's not what's being said. Jesus Jesus did what? That he came, he fulfilled the law, he completed the law. He he is the the perfect fulfillment that God promised on our behalf so so that no longer as he's writing to these Gentile people in Ephesus in the first century, that no longer do you have to become a Jew before you can become a follower of Christ. You don't have to follow that religious system. That, 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 that now has been made complete and whole in Christ. And so there's no longer a dividing wall between the two. There's now only one people of God. He says there's now one man. And what's clear here is that Jesus has created a new humanity. That's the picture. And remember back to last fall, we talked about what's our future What's our future? That we would be a, a people living as resurrected people on a resurrected earth with a resurrected Jesus forever. But, but that isn't just something that's happening in the future exclusively. It's already begun. And Paul's writing about it here. That, that There's now a new humanity. We talked last week that, that you are God's creation created in Christ, Christ Jesus. Collectively, the church is what he's writing about here. There's now one new humanity, the people of God. The, the, we call it the church. That word, that word, unfortunately, in English carries so many negative connotations that it gets really hard for us because we reduce the church to church buildings, and that is not what we're talking about when we talk about church. We're talking about a people that it's who? The people of God. The the called out ones is the word in the New Testament. It's the people who've been set apart for God's purpose. And it's the people who belong to God. It's God's, remember we talked about in this series already, God's personal property, God's valuable personal property. This is exactly what Paul was writing when he wrote to the church in Corinth. When he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a, there's a new creation. No longer is there a, a Jewish believer and is there a Gentile believer. There's now only believers. There's only people who have embraced the truth of who God is. And, and that means that, that we are now part of God's story. I don't... I spent a lot of time uh, reading church fathers. In fact, I had somebody who was uh, here last night and uh, and mentioned this morning. The only way, I know the only way you found that quote from a church father was there was some other commenter who quoted that church father. And he's right, because the chances that I'm reading John Chrysostom is um, 0%. Okay, so don't we have anything to hide in this? But I thought this was pretty amazing. He wrote this, this is in like, the th- late 300s AD. It is as though one took a statue of silver and a statue of lead and put them into a forge and they came out a statue of gold. That's what he's done. That there's a new people, a new humanity, the people of God who are now what? They, they're, they're now citizens of God's kingdom. 
That's our story. That's our identity. We are now citizens of God's kingdom. Two Rivers, we talk about that all the time, that, that this is our identity, that we are now citizens of God's kingdom. That's who we are. Paul wants his readers to know that they know that they know that they belong. Why? Because they didn't feel like they belonged. They felt like they were second-class citizens. They felt like, okay, well, I, I believe in Jesus, but, but I'm not a, a Jewish believer. And the Jewish believers are like, well, they believe in Jesus, but they're not us. They're not, they're not like us. They're not part of God's chosen people. They're, they've been added on. They're, they're second-class. And, and Paul wants them to know that is not the case. Now, in our world, citizenship is a big deal. Guess what? In Paul's world, citizenship was a big deal. Being a Roman citizen brought rights and privileges. It was a big, big deal. That's why he writes about it. That's why he uses it as a metaphor, because it's a big deal. And so in our world, citizenship is a big deal. For those of you who've had the opportunity to, to travel to um, places outside the United States, you'll know that they vary in um, how they view you. You know that it will vary. Like there's places that you go in the world that are very difficult to get in before you can get into that country. You have to actually get not just, you can't just show up with your passport. You have to get in advance from, from uh, their embassy or their consulate, whatever. You have to get um, a visa before you go, you have to get approved. And, and when you show up in that country, they're like, hey, whatever you do, make sure you keep your documents on you because at any time, somebody can stop you and be like, show us your documents. And be like, okay, well, well, what do you feel like when you go to those kinds of places? You don't feel like you belong. You feel like an outsider. You're like, I, I, I may be experiencing all the same experiences that people are having right now, but, but those people belong here and I don't belong here. Paul is addressing that and saying that if you are in Christ, you belong. You belong. We are now members of God's family. Remember last week, we talked about what? That we were born dead. We, okay, we keep hitting that. We were born dead, and we were also born under the wrath of God. We were once children of wrath, but now in Christ, we are children of God. And he says that we are members of God's family. And when Paul, very at the very beginning of this letter, says that you were adopted as sons, remember that that as sons isn't about male and female. It's about the rights and responsibilities that come with that type of adoption. If you are adopted as a, a, in, in the Roman culture, if you were adopted as, as a son, you got all the rights and responsibilities of a natural born child. That, that you, you were now, there was no difference. You were now a full-fledged member of the family. So it's not about male or female. When we say we were adopted as sons, yes, men and women, the new humanity, the new creation in Christ, we are now members of God's family. God has united us into one people, the people of God. We are now part of one family, the family of God. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 19 and pick up. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you underline and highlight that last sentence, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, underline it and highlight it. This is a we together as the people of God are being built together into the dwelling place of God. We are now the new temple, both personally, yep, and collectively. Now, Two Rivers, we talk all the time about being a people who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We, every week, we, we encourage you to ask a question. We're going to do it this week. We're going to encourage you to ask Jesus a question, and we expect through the indwelling Holy Spirit that, that Jesus will respond, that the Spirit will speak to you. That, and what we mean by that, he'll give you a thought, an idea, something that you just know, whatever it is, to, that you would be able to respond in real time through the indwelling Spirit of God. And so we talk about it all the time, so we're not going to talk about it this week, okay? Not right now. What we want to talk about is something that we don't talk about a lot, and that is the uniqueness that God has given to his people that when we join together, that we would experience something unique in that we are collectively the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. And so there's something special that happens when God's people gather. And you're like, yeah, I'm gathered. <laughs> I'm in the room, Matt, I, I, or I'm online, whatever. I'm, 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 uh, yeah, okay, I get that. But, but I think it's really, really important. Like this isn't the, the accessory. This isn't the nice little addition. And it's not a choice between the personal or the collective, right? It's not a, it's not a choice that we would go, okay, hey, well, I experienced Jesus personally, so I don't need to go to the group. Or, hey, I, I experienced Jesus with other people, so I really don't need to experience him personally. No, it's, it's this idea that it's a both and. In the world in which we live today, we get to experience the power of both, that we individually are the temple of God, but collectively, we are God's people we are the new temple being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's another verse that you've likely heard in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, in Corinth, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, here's a verse I likely have used it out of context on you before and told you, do you not know that you are the dwelling place of God? But that's not what that verse is saying. That verse is actually saying, do y'all not know that you all are God's, y'all together are God's dwelling place? Now there's other places we can go and we can talk about the personal aspects of it, but, but, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 is not one of them. It's saying, do, do you all not know? When you gather together, you all collectively are the dwelling place of God. Now, in my mind, that changes the, the corporate gathering. It, it, it elevates the corporate gathering. And just like we want to encourage you to engage in a daily discipleship tool that we're calling Live It Out, we want you to engage personally because if you don't engage personally, we can't engage together. And so we're asking you to participate in the same way. It's like, wow, we're asking you to elevate your, your view of the corporate experience. 
Like, why? Why would we give ourselves to making corporate worship a priority? Why would we give um, things like all in prayer a priority? Why would we give things like gathering together in, in opportunities like quiet waters? Why would that be a priority in my world? Why would that be important? Because God does something when we're gathered together it, with God's people that's unique, that will be different than what we experience personally. And there's things that we'll experience personally that we may not experience collectively. But it's really important that we would know that, that, that there's something that God does that's unique when we gather with other followers of Christ. It's a both and. That, that no longer are we two people, that together we are a people pursuing God. In fact, this is what, um, when we talk about our vision, that by 2032, we want to see the area that we're, we're living in, the region that we live in, we want to see it absolutely invaded with the good news of Jesus. We want to partner with other people. We want to pray it into reality. We want to see that happen. Yeah. But one of the things that we write at the very beginning of our, of our, of our vision statements is this, that together we are actively pursuing God. Like the most important part, together, we're actively pursuing God. Then what? Experiencing the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit, deepening our love for Jesus and for one another, and ensuring the gospel is made real to our neighbors in tangible ways. The second part, the reason the first part is there is the second part isn't going to happen if we're not actively pursuing God together. We're together. We're actively pursuing God. It's not a passive kind of thing. It's something that we're doing with some kind of intention. It's something that we're digging into. And y'all know it because you're here. And so it's an opportunity for us to go, okay, wait, what does that look like for us to, to keep going, to keep stepping, to, to keep investing, to make sure that we understand that, that we together is just as important as me and Jesus. We are God's people defined by God's presence. That's our identity. That's who we are. And that means that's who you are, but that's who we are. We are God's people. And so that all begins to challenge us. The, the, the world that we're in, we don't, we don't face necessarily as, as a church, we don't face this idea that, that we would include um, Jewish and Gentile believers into one body of, of, of Christ. We, we're not facing that obstacle like they were facing in Ephesus. But that doesn't mean that unity in the body of Christ is an absolutely essential and so as, as we look at our experience, as we look at our past, as we look at places where we've come from or places where we may currently be living, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to be a people who are ensuring that as much as it depends on us, we're living in right relationship, yes, with people in general, but especially with the people of God? And so I want to encourage you to, Rivers, that we, we be a people who are careful in how we talk about our previous church experience and personal experiences that we've had with other followers of Christ, that we would go, wait, they are a, a fellow heir. They are a member of the household of God. They're also kingdom uh, citizens, even though their expression of that looks a little bit different. And I might even be comfortable with what they're doing. It just is different. And, and maybe I didn't fit in that environment, but that doesn't mean that necessarily what they were doing was wrong. And we would take care because we would know. And, and, 
you know, I just see people today, they, they use careless language about how we talk about fellow followers of Christ. It's really important that we would make sure that we know that there isn't like, there's not like multiple teams out there. God, God says, what, I now have one new humanity. The people, the big C church, the global people who have new life in Christ. That is now the people of God. And we have all these little expressions of it. All these little expressions of it. All over the world, there's little expressions of it, of which we are part of one we call Two Rivers Church. But there's lots of them. It's important that we would make sure that we're not, we're not talking about people in a way that, that is um, derogatory towards members of the faith. Now, with that, that's not saying that if there's people who are apostate, that we don't say that. If there's people who are teaching that, that everyone goes to heaven in universalism, we need to stand up and say, no, those people are not part of the family of God. I'm not saying that we don't stand up for truth. But where it's about religious practice, there's no longer a dividing wall. His name is Jesus. And so when it's about um, worship expressions, when it's about all that kind of thing, that, that's not significant. And so there's a reason, I think, that, that back in the day that churches were going through worship wars. Because we'll fight about all kinds of stuff that's not important. We'll fight about all kinds of stuff that is insignificant. When we fail to recognize who we are, we're part of a collective whole. I told you, in my life, I don't like zombie shows. But last night, I watched a zombie show because I'm part of a family. <laughs> okay? Not, not good on me. Not, it didn't make me a hero. It just, I came home. The zombie show was on. My wife offered to change it. I said, no, we can complete this stupid show. It's just fine. <laughs> That's not what I said. It was fine. Right? It was fine. It's fine. I'm part of a family. It wasn't my preference. It's not what I wanted. It's not my desire. It wasn't my thing. She doesn't watch it for the zombies. There's like, I don't know, a bazillion different. I don't really know. There's like a bazillion different storylines going on. I don't really know what it's all about. But all I know is it's not my thing. We're part of a family. It doesn't mean that everything that happens in a family means I'm going to like it. I'm going to dig it. That's my thing. That doesn't mean that. But I just don't turn around and walk out the door because I don't want to be part of that. I'm leaving this family because I don't want to watch a stupid zombie show. That's not what we do as family people. And that's not what we do as God's people. We're like, well, this isn't my preference, but I'm part of a family. I'm part of the people of God. We are God's people defined by God's presence. That's who we are. That's our identity. And that means if you're going to buy in, you have to really see yourself as that. Do you see yourself as, as a member of something that's bigger than you? I'm part of something that's bigger than me. You've had this experience maybe elsewhere in your lives. You, you were part of a state championship winning team. I never had that experience. All my teams were losers. But something, man, that became part of your identity. You're like, yeah, well, you know, you're, you're, you're now an old man. You're now an old woman. But, but when you go back, you're like, yeah, back in the 70s, we won the state championship. We were the deal, right? Why? You were part of something bigger than yourself. 
something bigger. And that is what we are. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. But it does require personal buy-in because it's just the way it works. If you just go, yeah, I'm part of something bigger. Y'all have fun. I'm actually not part of something bigger at all. It requires that we all participate. So here's the thing. As we look at our next steps this, this week, we're going to come back to that first one. And we're going we're to rest on that for a minute. We're going to actually ask that you would ask Jesus this question. Who do I need to pursue to demonstrate the unity that you have given? Jesus has given us unity in the body of Christ. And this, this would maybe somebody who, who they know and you know that you are currently not in unity. And I would encourage you, this is just my personal view. It's rarely helpful if you've wronged a person and they have no idea that you've wronged them, that you would actually go tell them that you've wronged them and then apologize for it. You've now just put a bunch of stuff in their lap that they didn't even know existed. Just deal with that between you and Jesus. But if there's somebody that they know and you know, it may be from a previous church that, that you've never sought reconciliation over a past hurt. Maybe it's somebody that hurts you. Maybe it's somebody that you hurt. They know it and you know it. Maybe it's, it's something else. But, but there's a person in, maybe it's within this church. There's a person that you would say, hey, there's, there's someone that I need to pursue to demonstrate the unity that we have in Christ. The second one is quiet waters. Why do we do something like quiet waters? It, there's something that happens when God's people gather together that, that is significant, that doesn't happen in other environments. And then this is a 24-hour environment that, that we intentionally seek God together. And there's things that happen in quiet waters that we don't experience on our weekends. Okay? Because you'd be like, well, why do I need that? I already come. I come every weekend, Dave. Because there's things that happen when we set apart 24 hours to intentionally seek God together that don't happen on the weekend. It's just the way it happens when we're intentionally seeking God. So that's another way that we together can intentionally pursue God in community. And then live it out. And you're like, well, this is one for me to use a daily discipleship tool. It's a personal daily discipleship tool that we want to encourage you then to use with other people. Last week we said, if there's another person who calls Two Rivers their church home, we want you to start asking each other about the live it out. What? Yeah, this Wednesday, when you listened to Titus and it was less than six minutes, what was your big takeaway? What, what did you hear? What was the thing that you heard? And, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's going to make me really uncomfortable because if I didn't do it, just say you didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. And then allow that person to be judgmental towards you <laughs> and be like, what's wrong with you? Get on the program. No, really? Yeah. Then be like, feel bad and go, okay, well, wait, what, what, maybe I should be on the program. Maybe I should be on the program. Maybe. Maybe I should have listened. Maybe I should have read. Maybe I should have thought about that question. And maybe next time I'll be the one who's not trying to get people in trouble. I'm just kidding about that. But, but literally going, how do we have conversations? And I'll tell you what, Tim and I had a conversation this week. Between Tim and I, we, we write the live it out. And so you know who to blame if you don't like it. And um, we were talking, like, it's really hard for us to do it with our families. Like, we write it. And both at the same time, we were away on retreat and whatever, both at the same time, we both had the same conviction, like, oh, 
I need to do this with my family. But you talk about awkward. Like, that's weird, man. Like, we do this for a living and it's weird. So if you feel like it's weird, welcome to the club, man. It's weird. But do it. And don't make it complicated. He's like, yeah, I have, you know, think about all the baggage that I have. I don't want to feel like family devotions, whatever, whatever. Like, just make it normal. Just have a conversation. We, my family were doing it via text because I, I was away. But, but really, I like it via text because it's awkward for me. It's awkward for me. But really cool when we interact around it and, 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 we, and we share like, hey, this is just the thing. This is just the thing that I'm walking into today with. That's at the front of my mind. The thing that God's showing me today that I'm walking into. Wow. So we want to encourage you to dig into that. But in this moment, what we want to do, we want to take a moment and we want to allow you to ask Jesus this question. Before we move into to worship, we want you to ask Jesus, who do I need to pursue to demonstrate the unity that you have given? And so in this moment, in all of our venues, ask him that question and, and be prepared. Have your phone out. Have the notes app out. That, that when a thought crosses your mind, when a name crosses your mind, when you see somebody's face, write that name down. And then just hold on to that and walk out, of the, walk out of this space today and go, okay, wait, what does it look like for me to pursue unity? And, and then I want to encourage you to maybe even take another step, share with somebody. Because the likelihood that you'll follow through when you share with somebody that you trust and love, that, that you will follow through on that is significant as compared to you just going, oh, I'm just going to keep this one a secret. And then nobody will know if I don't do it. Let's do it, man. Let's, let's live it out. Let's put the stuff Let's put the good works into motion. That's what he made us to do. So ask Jesus that question. God, we are so grateful that you are kind, that you're God who, who is patient with us. And so we pray that, that that patience would go into the lives of others, that you would show us those people in our world that we need to, to seek reconciliation with in the name of unity in Christ. And in this moment, we pray that you, you would empower our worship. We need your help in all things, and especially even in the worship of you. So in this moment, would you inspire our praise? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand as we worship together.